You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius audio podcast. Well, this morning, as we continue on in this parable series, we want to look ahead. We're going to talk a little bit about the future this morning. We want to talk about what's not yet happened, but what will happen. This parable in Matthew 25, so if you have your Bibles, you can look with me to Matthew 25, is, is certainly about the future, but how many of you know the future should affect the present? What's yet to come should impact how we live today. What's yet to come should shape how we're living our lives on a daily basis. I mean, think about it. If there was a major hurricane brewing in the Atlantic and the meteorologist projected it was going to be like a Cat 5 storm that would hit the coast and come directly toward the Charlotte region like Hugo did in 1989. How many of you remember Hugo? A few of you, that's before the rest of you moved down to join us in paradise. There was this massive hurricane that came through 1989 and just like devastated this area, which is quite unusual because we're so far inland. But if the meteorologist was saying, hey, there's a Cat 5 storm coming, it's going to come right through the Charlotte region. If you had that information, you would begin to take action. Like you would tune in to the weather channel, you'd be tracking the storm. You would begin to gather water, um, hope you get to the store before everybody gets all the milk and bread, right? Toilet paper, fuel, uh, like you would begin to gather all of these basic supplies. Why? Because you knew a storm was coming. You would, it would be foolish not to prepare for that which you knew was coming. And the same should be true for us as we think about the second coming of Jesus. We know he's coming back. The scripture makes that very clear. What we don't know is exactly when. We know he is, but we don't know exactly when. His promised return should impact how we live. If you read the prophecies that speak of the return of Christ, and there's um, a lot of them, well over 100, like most of those prophecies, if not all of those prophecies, have already been fulfilled. And I'm not going to get into the prophecies of the return of Jesus this morning. You can dig that out in your own time. But most, if not all, of the prophecies speaking of the return of Christ have been fulfilled. That tells me this, friend, that the stage is set for the return of Christ. Now, I've been in church all my life. Most of you know my story. I was born on Wednesday. I was in church on Sunday. I'm 55, and I've missed very few Sundays. And throughout my life, I've heard this message again and again that Jesus is coming back for his church. And if we're not careful, this is our tendency is we can become lulled into complacency. Well, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. Well, this morning, I want to stir within you, hopefully, the expectancy that Christ is coming back. And so what? We should live, we should live every day in expectation. Matter of fact, I say it like this. I live every day with my rapture shoes on. Like if it was today... Um, I have my rapture shoes on. But to live in that expectancy of, of Christ's return. There's a story of a man named George who, who worked in a machine shop. His job was to sweep and clean out the shavings underneath like these huge lays, these machines that, um, that were machining steel. George was a born-again believer, and he loved the teachings of Scripture about prophecy. Matter of fact, as he would go about doing his janitorial work throughout the day, he would often be singing uh, great hymns of the faith that, that spoke of Christ's second coming. Hymns like In the Sweet By and By. Uh, when the roll is called up yonder. Man, I remember singing that page 42 in the hymnal. 
I remember singing that as a kid. Or when we all get to heaven, page 25. Growing up as a kid, we sung those songs all the time. Well, George, as he would go about his janitorial work of cleaning up, he would be singing these hymns of the faith. Late one Friday afternoon, about 10 minutes to quitting time, when everyone was weary from work, someone asked George if he was ready to go. And he said he was. But, but it didn't look like he was ready. He, he was like all dirty. It actually looked like he was ready to, to keep on working. So someone asked him again, George, are you ready to go home? And he responded that, that he was ready. And they said, you're not ready. You got to go get cleaned up. And George, George said, let me show you something. And he unzipped his coveralls. And underneath were the neatest, clean, cleanest clothes you could imagine. Like he had them all ready. All he had to do when the whistle blew was just unzip his coveralls, step out of his coveralls, go over, punch the clock, and he was ready to go. This is what George said. He says, you see, I stay ready to keep from getting ready, just like I'm ready for Jesus' return. I love that statement. I stay ready to keep from getting ready. And that should be our mentality and process of living as, as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. This is what I can guarantee you today. If you want a guarantee, listen, friend, you can take this to the bank. Here's the guarantee. Jesus is returning for his church or we're going to go be with him. I mean, he, no one knows the day of Christ's return, nor do we know our days on the earth. Therefore, we must live ready. I can guarantee you either one or two things is going to happen. Either Jesus is coming back in my lifetime or... My life is going to come to an end, and I'm going to get to go be with him. And guarantee. See, if we knew exactly when Jesus was coming back, like the year and the day, then what? We could, we could like plan for that day, right? But the scripture makes it clear that no one knows the exact day or the exact time of Christ's return. A lot of folks down through the years have made these bold predictions as to when Christ is going to come back, and none of them have been right yet because we're all still here, right? The rapture, the rapture hasn't happened. So we don't know the day or time. We also don't know the day when we'll end our journey on this earth. Now, we would like to think that we have a lot more years, right? We, I mean, everyone here this morning would like to think, well, we have 10, 20, 30, 40 more years. Um, and, and I hope you have that many years. But this is what I also know. Life is really fragile, and you could die tomorrow. Just this past week, I did a funeral for one of my good friends who stepped out of this world into eternity. And what we're certain of is that no one lives forever. And the statistics are in, pretty impressive. 100% of people die. Think about that. It means all of us, if Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, then what does that mean? It means we're going to cease to exist. Uh, we're going to lay down our earthly tent, this physical body, um, and the spirit part of us will live on forever. But, but the challenge is we don't know that day. We, we don't know the length of our life. Therefore, we should live ready. We should live with eternity in mind. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren states it in his book, Purpose Driven Life. Let me read just one paragraph for you. It says, this life is not all there is. Life on earth is just a dress rehearsal before the real production. 
You'll spend far more time on the other side of death in eternity than you will here. Earth is the staging area, the preschool, the tryout for your life in eternity. It is the practice workout before the actual game. It's the warm-up lap before the race begins. This life is preparation for the next. So fear me, friend, whether Jesus returns in your lifespan or we get to go be with him through our own death, we want to be those who live with the eternity in mind. We want to be those who, who live ready. And this parable that we're going to look to today is all about that challenge of living our lives ready. So as Jesus is coming here to the end of his three years of public ministry, just before going to the cross, he tells this parable about living ready. He tells this parable about being prepared for his return. And interesting, he uses a wedding celebration to illustrate the necessity of being prepared. Now, before we read the parable, let me just draw a little bit of difference between our weddings today as to weddings in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day. You know, in our Western culture wedding, the bride is the center of focus, right? Everyone's waiting for the bride, right? The minister down front, the groom, the groomsmen, like we're all waiting. The whole congregation is waiting for the bride. We even have this song called the bridal march. And when the note hits, everyone stands because they want to see the bride. Here comes the bride. So the bride is the center, the focal point of our wedding celebration. Not that the groom doesn't matter. He's kind of important too. But, but it's really today in our culture, it's the bride that's the center and focus. But in wedding celebrations in Jesus' day, it's actually just the opposite. It was the groom who was the point of focus. Now, not that the bride was not significant, but everyone was awaiting the arrival of the groom. And when the groom arrived, it was then that the marriage celebration began. The question was this, when is the groom going to arrive? Like, like there, was not, there was not a set time. You know, today we have like a set day and a set time for a wedding ceremony. Matter of fact, in, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be doing a wedding, and I know the exact day. It's on Saturday, October the 24th, and I know the exact time, 7 p.m. And I'm going to be there to perform a wedding ceremony on that day at that time. But in this culture, it really hinged on when the groom was going to show up, when he had himself ready, when he had the home prepared and everything set in order. Then there was this procession to where the groom would then go to the bride's home. So it's important for us to understand the cultural, the cultural difference as we look to this parable. Matthew chapter 25, let's read the first 13 verses. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. So a lamp here would be like a little clay pot that had oil in it that then had a wick. That would be the lamp of the day that the scripture is referencing. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, so there's a bit of a delay here. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. 
But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Verse 13, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now this parable is describing a first century Jewish wedding. Normally the bridegroom leaves his home with some of his close friends to go to the bride's home where there's like various ceremonies that would play out, followed then by a procession procession through the streets after nightfall to his home. So now he's taking the bride back to his home for what would have been several days, several days of celebration. The 10 virgins in the parable are most likely bridesmaids who've been like assisting the bride and they expect to meet the groom as he comes from the bride's house. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry a lamp. That was kind of the signal that you were a part of this wedding celebration. Like if you didn't have a lamp, you could be like a party crasher, right? You're not invited, but you're kind of jumping into the party. The festivities, which would last several days, would formally get underway at the groom's house. But for the virgins, the five foolish virgins who were not ready, this is what happened. They missed the wedding party. They missed the celebration. That's why they did not prepare themselves with enough oil for their lamps. So as they were going to get oil, what happened? That They missed the celebration. They were excluded. Why? Here's the simple reason. They were excluded because they were not ready. In this parable, it's important for us to, again, understand the players. Jesus is the bridegroom. So who do you think would be the wedding attendants in this story? Humanity. Us. Oh, Jesus is the bridegroom coming for his church. Interesting, the church numerous times throughout Scripture is referred to as the bride of Christ. You've seen the connections here. Jesus is the groom. He's coming for his bride. And this parable is really all about being prepared. It's a call to be ready. I mean, verse 13 summarizes the parable for us. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of his return. The message paraphrase, I really like the way the message paraphrase reads. Verse 13 reads like this. So stay alert. We might say it like this. Stay awake. Stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. So so how might we live ready? Because this scripture is all about being ready, right? Are you with me? This scripture is all about being alert. There's a time delay. To be quite honest, if you want my assessment, if you want to know what I think, there's been a time delay. I would have actually thought Jesus would have already come by now, if you want to know what I think. So there's a time delay. And again, in the midst of the time delay, there's, there's the possibility that we could grow complacent. There's a possibility that we could get lackadaisical. There's a possibility that we could get um, distracted. And what? Not live ready. So this parable is all about living ready. So what can we learn from the parable about being prepared for Christ's return? Let me quickly this morning give you four statements. The first is this. The first thing that we must know is that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Turn to your neighbor this morning and ask him a really simple question. It's an important question, but it's a simple question. Are you prepared? Go ahead, ask him. Are you prepared? 
See, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Heaven's not like just some random place. Heaven is not just like this place of our imagination. Heaven is a place that God dwells with all of his angels and with those who have gone before, those who have passed. Like my friend Joe, who I did a, a celebration of life service for on Friday. He passed on Monday. And I believe because Joe received Christ as his Savior, when Joe took his last breath here, he actually graduated. That life really began for my friend Joe. Why, he had prepared himself. So where's he at today? He's not here. He's not on this earth. I believe that the part of Joe that was really Joe is with Jesus in where? In, in a place called heaven. So heaven is a prepared place. Remember, Jesus spoke of the fact of, of the reality of heaven and that he was preparing a place. He spoke this to his disciples to comfort them in their grief. Jesus had told the disciples that he was leaving, that he was going the way of the cross. They didn't comprehend all of that at that point, but because he told them he was leaving, they were shocked and they were grieved. They were in sorrow. And to comfort them in their sorrow, Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 14, verse 2. Listen to what Jesus said about going to prepare a place. Maybe. Let me go to my notes. I have it here. In my father's house are, get this, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to this. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going there to prepare a place, a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, but we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. So what Jesus was leaving to prepare a place, to prepare a place, to prepare heaven for the disciples, for us. Now, I would submit to you that Jesus has not been in heaven the last 2,000 years managing building projects. You know, like, well, you know, we used to sing songs about, you know, my mansion over in glory, whatever that means. Jesus didn't prepare a place like building buildings. He prepared the place by giving his life. He prepared the way by laying his life down that we, that we might have life, that we might have the privilege of being with him in heaven. Jesus prepared a place by his death and resurrection. He paid our debt that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might have the promise of eternal life. It's interesting, Peter, Peter writing about this promise of eternal life says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what Peter wrote. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, notice, new birth into a living hope. What's the living hope? The living hope is this. Once I finish my life here... I get to go to a better place. That's the living hope. Listen, don't cry for me when I'm gone. Do a dance. Throw a party. Because I'm going to be having a party. Why? Because I'm living out this hope. He goes on to say, he's birthed us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And notice this, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Where's it at? It's kept in heaven for who? For you. 
for any and all who would receive the provision of Jesus Christ. What is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So Jesus has finished his work. He was without sin, but he took on the sin of humanity. He was crucified. He was resurrected. What? So that we might, we might have salvation. So that, so that we might have the privilege of spending eternity with him. He gave his life to do what? To prepare a place. So hear me, friend. Heaven is a prepared place. Christ has finished his work. But here's the other part of it. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. In other words, we have a responsibility in the process. So how do we prepare ourselves? Simply by receiving his salvation. We prepare ourselves by recognizing that we can't save ourselves. So what? We receive Jesus Christ's provision for our lives. John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus made it so clear. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him, that would believe in Jesus, that one would have what eternal life. That one would have the privilege, the blessing of heaven. He goes on to say that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. How do we prepare ourselves? Simply by opening our lives to Jesus Christ, declaring our need for him. Listen, hear me, friend. There's not many ways to heaven. There's not many ways to the Father. Jesus makes it very clear in John 14, 6, there's one way. And that way is through his son. That way is through Jesus. And you think, well, that sounds really narrow. It's what what Jesus said. There's one way and it's through Jesus. So how do you prepare yourself? By receiving the provision of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is what I know. Live life long enough to know that life is fragile and no one's guaranteed tomorrow. That's what I know. What I also know, friend, is you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And you're not ready to die until you've prepared yourself. So how can we live ready? Right? How can we live ready for either the return of Christ, if the heavens were to split open, the trumpet were to sound, and Jesus comes tomorrow... Are you ready? Or if you were to get hit by a Mack truck, hope that doesn't happen to you. That would be a bad day. Or or actually, it might be a good day, depending on how you interpret that. The question is, are you ready? Because heaven, the first thing we learn from this parable, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Hey, here's a second significant truth I think we can pick up from this parable of the ten virgins is that some things can't be borrowed really important that we understand this. In this parable, there's a delay. In other words, the groom doesn't show up when everyone thought he was going to show up. We don't know what held him up, but maybe there's a, a, a few last things he had to get ready with the home that they're getting ready to live in. But anyway, he's delayed. Um, and finally, he shows up. And when he shows up, there's five of these bridesmaids that are called foolish who are out of all. In other words, they, they didn't plan ahead. They were, not, they were not ready. They were not expecting the delay. And so when, when the cry rings out, here comes the groom, they're trying to borrow some oil and 
the five wise virgins says, hey, if we loan you some oil, we probably won't have enough, so we can't loan you all. And so while they're on their way, it's midnight to try to go to a store to buy some oil. They can't get any oil, therefore they're excluded, they miss it. I think something we can pick up from this is there's some things that you can't borrow. Like you can borrow 20 bucks from a friend. Dana, you got 20? I don't. He don't? Well, let's go this way. Chris, you got 20? I do. Yeah, I could borrow 20 from Chris. He's a friend. So you can go to your neighbor and you can borrow a cup of sugar. You can go on down the street to another neighbor and borrow a tool. But hear me, friends, there's some things that you can't borrow. And one of the things that you can't borrow is a relationship with God from someone else. In other words, it has to be your decision. You you can't borrow the faith of your parents, the faith of your grandparents. Hear me, God has no grandchildren, he only has children. In other words, this thing doesn't pass down from generation to generation. For every individual, you have to make your decision as to whether you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, a relationship with God cannot be borrowed. It must be done yourself. Nor can you borrow character. But character must be developed. It's, it's not like you can go to someone and say, wow, you have strong character. You're, you have strong integrity. Can I borrow some of your integrity? You can't do that. But you have to work to develop integrity. The same would be true for deeds done out of love and obedience. What they, they cannot be borrowed. They must be your own works. It's not like you can say to someone else, hey, you have some good works. Can I borrow some of your good works? Hey, you've been doing some great things. Can I just kind of like piggy tail on what you're doing and like borrow some of your good works? That, that doesn't work either. See, one of the things we pick up from this parable is there's some things in life that can't be borrowed. What you must know is that each of us is responsible for God for what we decide to do with our one life. And once this life is over, then there's no more opportunities. It's not like we get a mulligan. It's not like we get a do-over. Like we don't get to come back and live a second life to try to do better. What we have is this life that God's granted us. You know, I was thinking about this. I have no control over my genetic makeup. I am who I am. I had no control over who my parents were. No control over where I was born. Those things I have no control over. But what I do have control over is the choices I make in life. And you do as well. I can choose to love or I can choose to hate. I can choose to live generous or I can choose to live stingy. I can choose to invest in others or I can choose to make life all about me. The same, the same would be true for your life. So what we want to seize the opportunity of the day to make the most of the day. So we want to be pastors. Well, I encourage you today to take action. Like don't be the procrastinator. Don't be the passive one that God keeps putting, keeps putting it off. And there's some things that you can't borrow, so make the most of this day. Make the most of your life. Here's a third truth that we can gain from this parable that Jesus told, and I believe it's this. We must do first what matters most. Not second. Now, we want to do first 
what matters most. This parable about the bridesmaid is about the primacy of what's, most, what's the most important thing in life. And it's not too late now, but one day, hear me, friend, it'll be too late, right? Not too late now, but one day it'll be too late. The bridesmaids cannot borrow oil, so they, they, they go out and they try to purchase some. But keep in mind, it's midnight, like it, it's late. The stores are closed, and while the groom was delayed, they, they lacked this sense of priority, this sense of urgency. Like they thought they had all the time in the world. They were distracted when they should have been focused. So when the bridegroom comes, they don't have the oil. They can't be a part of this wedding procession because they didn't do what mattered most. Therefore, they missed the celebration. Possibly they were distracted with other things that that kept them from the most important thing. Or or possibly they were complacent and they they didn't pay attention to what really mattered. Whatever the issue was, this this is the bottom line. They were not ready we're not ready when the groom arrived because they didn't pay attention to what was most important, what, what really mattered. Listen, folks, time is short and it's passing fast. It really is. It's amazing how some days can seem so long, but the weeks pass so fast and the years pass so fast. And time is short. We want to do what matters most. If we're not careful, I see this happen quite often. We get lulled and complacent and we think we have forever, but we don't. What we have is today. And hear me, friend, today really matters. Today, that's what you have. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. What do you have? You have today. That's why we must do first what matters most. We must keep focused on the things that matter in life. C.S. Lewis said this. I love this quote. He says, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. If you put second things first, then we lose both first and second things. Keep first things first. All the bridesmaids had the opportunity, but for five of them, it was too late for them. And it leads us to these so haunting words, if only, regret, if only, if only I had invested more in relationships, if only I'd spent more time with my children, if only I'd seen the value of serving the poor, If, if only I'd leveraged my assets for the good of others. This parable is not about trying to figure out when the groom's coming in order to cram for the final exam. God, God has like, hear me friend, God has like no interest in end time predictions and calculations. God's interested in one thing and it's a transformed heart that creates an overflow of good works done from that heart. And it's about today. It's about this day really mattering. Listen, one day, you're going to have to give an account for your life. Scripture makes that very clear. I'll have to do the same. And on that day, on that day, we want to make sure that we've, like, given ourselves to what God's called us, that, that, we've, that we've taken advantage of the day, that, we, that we've invested our lives well. We must do first what matters most. And, and here's the final lesson that we can pick up from the parables. It's this. Faith in Christ not only saves us from something, 
It saves us for something. Not just some from something, but for something. Here's the, here's the good news this morning, and, and all of you probably know this, but let me just remind you again. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were saved from hell. Can I get a wahoo on that? Pretty, pretty significant. When you accepted Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, you were saved from spending an eternity separated from God. When you accepted Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, you were saved from the penalty of your sin. Well, that's good news. But how many, how many of you know God didn't save you and then remove you? Think about that. He didn't save you and at that moment take you to heaven. He saved you and left you here. I think that should make us ask why. Like, like heaven is not like God's ultimate place of getting us there. Now, here's the good news. One day we're, we're going to get to be there if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. One day we're going to get to enjoy the wonder of, and the beauty of heaven and, and celebration and reunion and all that's going to come with it that I actually believe is beyond our human understanding and comprehension. Like, I don't have words in my limited vocabulary to describe fully the wonder of heaven that you're going to experience, that I'm going to experience. One day, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're going to get to be there, I'm going to get to be there, and we're going to get a firsthand experience of it. Amen? That's good news. We have that to look forward to. But until that day, God's left you here for a purpose, or you wouldn't be here. We've not just been saved from something. We've been saved for something. The scripture makes it clear that we're saved by God's grace to live out this good deeds that he's prepared for us. Notice how the scripture reads, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Notice it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not for from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That tells you how you've been saved, right? Are you with me? But we've all been saved by grace. It's not because you worked hard. It's not because you earned it. It's the gift of God. So it tells us how we've been saved by the gift of God. Verse 10 tells us then the why. So 8 and 9 is about the how. 10 is about the why. Notice what it says in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why? And we've been not just saved from something, we've been saved for something. And that for something is about the good works. The good works until Jesus comes. Or until you get to go be with him. Either way, in that time in between, it's not that we're just like hanging out. It's not just that we're being complacent. It's not just that we're, we're, we're bored waiting on Jesus to come back. No, the scripture says that we should be fully engaged in doing what? In doing good works. It could be that there's a person that you need to call and seek forgiveness from. It, 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 it might be that today is the day that you choose with God's help to start a legacy of generosity. It, it might be that maybe God's placed a person in t or two in your relational world that needs to hear the gospel message from you, the message of salvation. It, it could be that, that you see that God is asking you to speak up and act for biblical justice for those who are marginalized in our world, including the poor, the foreigner, or the outcast. 
Listen, folks, clean slates are worthless if our passivity just fills them anew with, with a repeat of fresh regrets of what we didn't do. So today, today this is what you have. You have a new day. What, what will you do with, with the day? It's going to be the same thing on Monday and Tuesday. If you're still here and I'm still here, if Jesus hadn't come back and we haven't gone to be with him, then what? You're going to have a new day. And every new day, there's a new opportunity in that day for you to do something amazing with your life in partnership with the Holy Spirit. See, I happen to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to so energize us that we're living like the apostles in Acts chapter 2. That wherever we go, there's miraculous stuff happening. Why? Because we're living out the love of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're doing these good works. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation. No, we're just busy about the work of the master until he comes. So we've not just been saved from something. It's really important that we understand that, that we've been saved for something. And that for something is about being a part of God's redemptive work in our world. What you don't want to do is be like the five foolish bride, bridesmaids who simply were not ready. And because they were not living ready, because they were not fully engaged, because they were not active in what was happening, they, they missed, they missed what, what was happening in that moment. So we want to be those who live life with urgency, knowing that we have today, and hear me friends, today really matters. Today really matters. The life that God's granted you in this day really matters. And tomorrow is another day. And the next day after that, until Jesus comes, is a day that really matters. It's a day that we have to glorify the Father and to live on mission for Him. That's what it's all about until He comes or until we go to meet with Him. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. That's the lesson from this parable. Let's live every day in expectancy of Jesus' return. And let's live ready so we don't have to get ready. Amen? Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have today. Lord, the hope of knowing that you're coming back for us, the bride. Or we're going to get to go be with you. Lord, I think if we all had our preference, we would say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, that's in your time, not in our time. That we can't control. What we can control is how we live. God, may we live with expectancy. May we live ready. May we live taking this day that you've granted us, understanding that in this day, there's opportunity. In this day, there's good works. In this day. We have the privilege of you doing something great in our lives and through our lives to make a difference in someone else's life. Holy Spirit, stir within us that expectancy, that urgency of the moment, that urgency of the hour. May we not miss a single opportunity that you have for us as individuals, for us as a church family. May we be those who are living every day, every moment, ready 
for that encounter, ready for that opportunity, ready, Holy Spirit, for you to energize us to step into something that could be so life-giving and life-transforming. May we live ready. With every head bowed and eye closed, earlier this morning I said this, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Listen, there's only one way, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to spending eternity with the Father. And that's by accepting the provision of His Son. That's how you prepare yourself. And I I never want to assume that everyone's ready. I never want to assume that like everyone has accepted Christ as their Savior. I happen to believe it's the most critical decision in your life and for your life. So I want to give just a moment. Maybe there's someone here this morning who would just say, Pastor, I'm not prepared. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people and I've not prepared myself. Is there anyone who would just say, hey, that's me. Today I want to prepare myself. Today, I want to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In the balcony on the main floor, is there anyone just by raising your hand would say, hey, that's me. Praise God. Looks like we're all ready to go. Amen. Would you stand with me? I was thinking about this. When I was a, a child, one of my favorite preachers was Happy Caldwell. Probably none of you have ever heard of Happy Caldwell. He's probably with Jesus right now. But Happy Caldwell used to say, when the rapture happens, I'm going to grab me two unsaved people, one in my right hand, one in the left hand. As I'm shooting up through the air, I'm going to say to them, do you want to accept Jesus or do you want me to let go? <laughs> Amen. He's coming back. We live with that hope and we live ready. As you go into your week, I pray God's blessing, His goodness for you. And listen, this is what I believe every day, is the Holy Spirit wants to encounter you. He wants to stir the gifts within you. He wants to do something not only great in your life, but through your life. All we have to do is just say, God, here I am, use me. Use me to be a blessing to someone. And in that, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna be a life giver. So look for that opportunity this week to give life to someone. Live your life in such of a way that you're just living out the goodness of God that others would experience that. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.